0: Thank you for taking time to listen to this message from New Life United Methodist Church. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. We invite you to join us for worship each Saturday evening beginning at 530. New Life is located at 8301 Mitchell Road in Mcchesney Park, Illinois. For information on New Life or our ministries, go to findnewlifeumc.org. You can also send financial contributions to New Life UMC P.O. Box 2034, Loves Park, Illinois 61030. To honor copyright laws, some audio portions may have been removed. Again, thank you for listening. Teaching and formation as we uh, look at the gospel according to Matthew. So, if you have your Bibles with you, your Bible apps, you can get them out. I think it's going to be on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 20, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 18. Hear these words. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and correct them when you are alone together. If they listen to you, then you run over a brother or sister. If they will not listen, take with you one or two others so that every word may be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. But if they still won't pay attention, report it to the church. If they won't pay attention even to the church, treat them as you would treat a Gentile and a tax collector. I assure you that whatever you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. I ask that God bless that. We ask that you join into a time of prayer, just inviting the Spirit into our lives and place today. Lord, we ask that you come and send your Spirit into us now. Send it upon this congregation and all those gathered here. Send your Spirit into our hearts that we may truly hear your Word. We may truly understand how it speaks to us today in every day of our lives. We pray this in Your holy name. Amen. We are coming out of a three-week series called Fighting Words, talking about the things Jesus was willing to fight for. And so I think the next extension of that is healing words. The things Jesus was willing to Uh, in part in terms of how we enter, not times of war and conflict, um, but how we come out of that conflict, how we come out of the stress uh, and the turmoil in our lives. So today we're going to talk a little bit about conflict resolution. It's a very important thing, and it's a very very particular thing that's outlined in what I just read today. But I, I want you to know, it's funny coming into the church, working in the church, Many people, whether they're volunteering in leadership in the church, uh or many people who become employed by churches, uh, whether it's in the office or, or just in, in part of the ministry of the church, many people say the same thing after they've been working in the church for you know a few months or even a couple years. I thought that working in the church, everything would be great all of the time. Right? That's kind of the expectation a lot of people when they kind of join on a staff of a church that everything's going to be great all of the time because it's the church, because we are brothers and sisters, because we love one another, right? Because we're a family. Well, (laughs) that should have been your first guess. Most families have their share of conflict. All churches have their share of conflict all human interaction has their share of conflict marriages friendships parents to children brothers and sisters in Christ conflict is an inevitable part of our human existence it doesn't have to be a bad part of it but it is an inevitable part and unfortunately in the church unlike perhaps business or even the real world or even in our families Sometimes we try to avoid the conflict, and so we don't actually deal with what's happening. I believe very truthfully, conflict is always an opportunity to grow, but unfortunately we don't always treat it like that. I had someone get mad at me once because I I did not look at them a certain way when I greeted them on Sunday morning. And that was like, they were like months. They were upset with me. Of course, they didn't tell me about that. But I, didn't, I don't even know what that means to this day. But they didn't uh, avoid it. I had a, a few more, well, I've had quite a few, but I, I've had a few more kind of malicious attempts at conflict. When I got to a church that I served, the church was just loaded with garbage. Literal garbage everywhere. Dozens and dozens of garbage bags that just garbage needed to be thrown away. The church was just a mess. That happens sometimes, especially when ministry is on the decline, and that was the place here this church was close to closing. And so I did what any young pastor would do, and I got a dumpster, and I started throwing away garbage. Anything that I thought was special or not garbage, I put on a table in the basement, and I said every Sunday morning, please go down, check the things that I found, take them home, let me know what they're for, all that kind of stuff. Someone was so upset that I was throwing away garbage that they took the communion linens, beautiful communion linens uh, that would kind of sit on the table uh, uh, like this and actual silk linen, and they threw them in the dumpster, and then they went and got them back out of the dumpster and told the communion steward, who was in her late 90s, that the pastor had thrown away the communion linens. That was not the best way to approach conflict is the point of the story. But it happens. And we had to deal with that conflict and I think we dealt with it fine. But we need to learn. And Jesus knew that. Jesus taught us how to deal with conflict in the church and gives us a model for that here in Matthew 18 that I want to go over very particularly so that we know how to deal with conflict. Now, before we dig into this passage, we need to really ask an important question, uh, as we do with any Scripture. Did Jesus really say that? This. This is one of those passages in Scripture that just doesn't really seem to fit the book of Matthew. It doesn't really necessarily seem to fit the words of Jesus, because Jesus uses very legalistic language, which He never does. Jesus talks about the church, which didn't exist prior to His death and resurrection. So there's some issues, but regardless of whether these were the actual words of Jesus or these were words of Jesus that had been transformed into kind of a more comprehensive uh, thing, that doesn't mean we have to deny the wonder and the power of Scripture because Scripture has not only a, a historical vibe, but it has a tradition that's been built around it. Matthew, the Gospel writer, probably didn't write the Gospel of Matthew, if it was just one person, until about 50 years after Jesus died. So think about that. The Civil Rights Movement happened about 50 years ago. The movie Selma, right, just came out? About 50 years ago. The, what the events were about 50 years ago. So the artist who was presenting that movie... Was interpreting a lot of the information that she had going into the direction. And so too, the gospel writers are presenting information in a way that's helpful to their audience, helpful to us, and helpful to people. It doesn't mean that they're lying about it. It doesn't mean that they've, you know, uh changed it or anything else. It means they're presenting it in a way that they think is going to reach their people. The church did exist when Matthew existed. So we believe that Matthew just took something or or someone in Matthew's church or tradition took something that Jesus said and put words, church words to it. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But either way, I think this really teaches us a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, And we do need to understand when we interpret these kind of passages that regardless of who wrote it, if we believe Jesus said it, we need to understand the character of Jesus when we interpret it and when we read it for ourselves. So I want to go and just keep that in mind as we go through kind of what Jesus says here in this very short but very powerful passage. So Jesus starts, if a brother or sister sins against you, and we can stop right there, if a brother or sister sins against you, if you feel wronged by someone, if someone hurts your feelings, if you have in fact been actually sinned against, the first thing you do is acknowledge it. It's kind of an undercurrent here in this message, but I I think it's really what's at the heart of what Jesus is saying. First and foremost, you acknowledge what has happened. All too often, we do not. We let it stew. We let it sit. And that is the worst thing you can do In conflict. So Jesus says, acknowledge what's happened. Acknowledge your feelings first and foremost. Now after you do that, after you acknowledge your feelings, you need to speak to the person whose feelings, or the person who hurt your feelings. You do not go to Facebook. That's the first rule of any conflict. Stay off of Facebook. You do not go to someone else and talk to them about it. You don't necessarily come to the leadership of the church. You go to the person one-on-one and say, you've heard my feelings. We don't like conflict. I understand that. The majority of human beings do not like conflict. It makes us feel icky. But that doesn't mean we can't just ignore it. That we can just walk away from it. If you feel hurt, you need to talk to the person who did that. Then, what happens if that one on one meeting does not go well? Well, Jesus keeps talking, thankfully. Jesus knew that maybe not all of those conversations would end well. So Jesus says, quoting the Old Testament, remember this is an Old Testament quote that he throws in here get two people who are respected, two elders of the church, two wise people to listen to the conflict. Now, Jesus doesn't say grab someone who agrees with your point of view. Find an article on the internet that agrees with your point of view. He does not say that. He says find one or two others. Get a couple of people who are part of the church but not part of the conflict. What if that meeting does not go well? Well, Jesus keeps talking, thankfully. Bring it to the greater community. Remember, even if this was added by Matthew or later in the church, Jesus in the early church didn't worship like we did in large public spaces. So Jesus isn't saying bring it before the worshiping body. He means bring it to uh, uh, you know kind of the leadership of the church. Bring it to your house church, your small group. Bring it to a group of people. Bring it to the broader community, the fellowship of the church. Don't let the venom of uh, individual conflict spread throughout the entire body. Address it. Don't let the gossip and the back talk penetrate the life of the church. Address it. Bring it forward. Say, this is what's happening. We need to deal with it. Now, if that doesn't work, (laughs) right? we're going to specifically talk about how, how we might do this in our church, but if that doesn't work, and again, we need to remember, this is Jesus who is saying this. This is very important. This is Jesus who is saying this. It says, I know, because it says, Jesus said, and then there's quotation marks. This is Jesus who is saying this. He says, Treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. Traditionally, we have used that line because to a good Jewish person... Gentiles and tax collectors were not thought of very positively, right? So we've used that traditionally to say when conflict arises and two people can't work on it and four people can't work on it and the whole church can't work on it, excommunicate that person. Throw them out and treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, an outsider. That's what a a Gentile was. And a betrayer, that's what a tax collector was. Someone who got taxes from the oppressing government and, and gave it to them from the Jewish people like a traitor, like an outsider. This is Jesus who said that. So we need to think about that when we're reading this. It wasn't Peter who said that. It wasn't Caiaphas, the high priest, who said that. If he had said that, we would have thought, oh yeah, then you just throw them out and you excommunicate them, you banish them, you shun them, all that good stuff that's come out of this passage of Scripture. How did Jesus treat tax collectors and Gentiles? We need to think about them. He ate with them, right? He gathered around them. He loved them. He died on the cross for them. So what is Jesus saying? If after everything, you still cannot agree, love that person anyway. Work on it. Make it a lifelong pursuit. It doesn't mean it's going to go well, but it does mean you need to continue to try. You need to continue. Treat them like I treated sinners. That sounds a lot like Jesus to me. Now then we have this passage about fastening and loosing. And I think Jesus is saying, or it's been interpreted in the past, is Jesus saying we are in control of forgiveness. Like we can forgive, um, you know, we we can forgive sins and, and by loosening and fastening things on earth. Um, is Jesus saying you and I can do that, or, or or the church controls who is saved and who is not? Well, obviously that's a little bit ridiculous. We don't have the power to save anyone. We don't have the power to cleanse sin. Only Jesus is the judge. Only Jesus is the savior. But we do have a stake in our relationships. I think that's what Jesus is saying. What you fasten and what you loosen on earth has an impact in heaven. If you give up on relationships on earth, it will impact the kingdom of heaven. If you hold on to relationships, even in the midst of conflict, it may have a good impact on the kingdom of heaven. If you give up on something, it might keep things from going the way we need them to go for the kingdom's sake. If you hold on to them, if you fight for them, if you work with them, then that may impact the kingdom in a great way. So that's good and all. <laughs> but let's talk about how that might play out uh, in 2015 in, in New Life Church or, or just in, in our life today. Because that's how we, how we need to understand it. So first, the, the, the acknowledging, right? First and foremost, we need to acknowledge what's happened. All too often, we get hurt, we get upset, we get mad, and we immediately reply. Sometimes we literally press, press reply, and that's that's the terrible curse of of instant communication. Email is not a good way to do conflict resolution. Facebook, Twitter, not good ways to do conflict resolution. I'm not saying those are terrible things. Do not make conflict resolution part of the life of those tools. That's not what they were intended for. Conflict resolution has to happen face to face. But first and foremost, what do you do? You have to acknowledge what happened. You have to give yourself some time and some space. And so the best thing to do is write it down. I feel sinned against. I feel wronged. I feel hurt. Write it down. Make a document on your phone, on your computer. Some of us write with paper occasionally. Get out a notepad. Whatever you do, if you have a spiritual journal, that would be great. Write it in there. Write down what happened and how you feel. I know this is like therapy, but that's good. That's what Jesus is saying. Acknowledge what happened and then sit on it. Don't have to sit on it for a week or a month. At least a night. Sleep on it. Go back to it the next day and say, oh, maybe I was a little bit crazy here. Or maybe, because that happens sometimes, we overreact. Or maybe this is a real thing that we need to talk about. But make sure you write it down, sit on it. Do not react instantly. Even if it happens face-to-face, even if someone calls you something face-to-face, sometimes it's best just to sit back, Reflect upon that, and not immediately react to the situation. Because sometimes that's what people are looking for. Uh, just a caveat here, this, which doesn't really have to do with this, but it is important, I think. In our world, there are many people who are not real fond of Christianity. You've probably met some of them knocking on the doors in the neighborhood, even, As, as stories I've heard in the last few weeks. When someone attacks something that you love, and when someone attacks your faith, the kind of the base instinct is to defend it, is to fight for it, is to stand up and say, no, you are wrong, sinner. Right? I have a lot of good sermons about that. But I have found when talking to people who want to get into fights, when talking with people who are desperate about their point of view, who just want to irritate you, it's best not to be defensive. It's best to step back from it. I'm not saying you have to walk away and run away and then write down your feelings. You can do that. But immediately reacting to it, immediately defending it, immediately getting into an argument is not and almost never ever helps. One of the best things I can tell you in that circumstance, when somebody is so so just conflictual that they just want to fight with you, they want to argue. Remember, this passage is talking about brothers and sisters in the church. I'm talking about people outside of the church. The best thing you can do in that situation is ask questions. I know that because that's what Jesus did. Because there's a lot of people that didn't like religion and faith in God in Jesus' time, and what he did was ask questions. And he told stories. And sometimes through those interactions, not defensive, well, this is no. Why do you think that? Why do you feel that way? Can I tell you how I feel? Can I tell you what's happened in my life? That's how Jesus dealt with that. That was a bonus sermon. So we'll go back to the regular sermon at this time. I just thought that would be important, maybe, to take away. So if you write down your stuff and you feel, yes, this is... This is eating me up. It's something. This has happened. I need to address it. Meet with them one-on-one. Don't talk to your small group. Don't talk to me. Don't text or or even call. Just make an appointment. Say, hey, can we get a cup of coffee? We need to talk. I know that's a weird conversation to have with somebody, but I think it just said, hey, can we have a conversation? Can we talk? Don't do it on Saturday night. Before, ch- I'm talking if, if, if I hurt your feelings. Like before church, it's not the best time. It happens, fine, but, you know, make an appointment, you know? Call, text, you can text, like, hey, can we get lunch tomorrow? Or hey, what are you doing this week? That's fine. Don't text, oh, I'm so angry. No, don't do that. That doesn't help. All capitals, right? Because you're upset. And then talk through what happened. Say, this is what I experience, this is, I feel like you've done this or I feel like you've hurt me. Um, and, and often it's just a miscommunication or a misunderstanding. And so if you come in, in, a, in a spirit of, okay, I don't think this person hates me and I don't think this person wants to harm me because they're my brother or sister in Christ, we can sit down and we can talk about it. Okay, if you can't get to a resolution, if they say, no, I didn't do this, and if you're like, no, nah, but you did, then get a couple other people Ideally, you know, we have this kind of model of small groups called formation groups—three, four people. Uh, ideally, you would get maybe the couple other people in your group around, and you guys would talk about it, or women would talk about it in a group. You can say, "Hey, this happened in the members of our group," but if not, you can get a couple other people and just say, "Hey, we need—we need to talk. This happened. You know, a couple people that we respect. You can ask." Me or some of the leadership, hey, is there a couple of people that can meet with us that would be appropriate? Ideally, you want people removed from the situation, though. Outside opinions. Now, if that doesn't work, you need to bring the issue to the larger congregation. Do you stand up on Saturday night and say, hey, I have a problem with so-and-so? Not particularly helpful. Okay? Don't do that. But we do have a a process. We have a leadership team that's really one of the reasons that they exist as a body, to get together to deal with issues in the church and to deal with conflict. So you make time to meet with them, you talk about what's going on, and we have processes that each person or both people could go through to move through to do that. The leadership represents the church in those situations. So what happens if you go through all of that? You write down What's happened? You, you still feel hurt about it. You meet one on one. It doesn't go well. You, you meet with a couple other people. There's still no resolution. You meet with a, a leadership, the larger church. Still no resolution. You don't feel better. The other person isn't apologizing. There's no common ground. There's no compromise. Do you write that person off? I think according to Jesus, you might need some space from them. But you need to treat them like Jesus would treat them. With compassion. Try to understand maybe where they are coming from. And I know it's hard, but we all got stuff going on in our lives and sometimes we take that stuff out on other people. That's part of the human existence, the human experience. So try and understand what's going on in their lives. Again, even if it means some space from that person, however that can happen, And then Jesus tells us when we are in a relationship, we can fasten that relationship and we can loosen that relationship. And if we fasten it, I believe amazing things can happen. When when two people, when groups of people are, are really fastened together in brother and sisterly love as children of God, amazing things can happen. But when that relationship is dead, there's a hole. There's a hole in our church in the body. You know, if you lose your arm or your index finger or your big toe, your body suffers just like that. When we lose someone, part of our body, our body suffers. And so when we loosen those relationships, our body suffers. I believe the kingdom suffers. Not forever. God will come back. We'll be okay. But things could be so much better today, right now, if we're willing to fight. If we're willing to work together, if you're willing to pray for reconciliation daily, routinely, by name. If you're willing to hope for a future where you're working together as brothers and sisters, as siblings in the kingdom of heaven. The bottom line in all of this is relationships are worth fighting for. Healing is worth the process. And the beauty of conflict is that through conflict there can be growth. And we are all about growing closer to God and closer to one another. Closer towards the kingdom of heaven. And when we do that, sometimes there is conflict. But through the conflict, we can be brought closer. We can grow. So make sure you don't easily give up. Make sure, first of all, you're really in the right. right? Sometimes we get hurt because of what we perceive. And I think those situations can be addressed and easily cleared up. But even if you are truthfully wrong and the person is adamant about it, don't give up. Love them. Pray for them. And hope that one day, despite any conflict, you may be fastened together in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, we will continue that here in the next couple weeks by... Talking a little bit about reconciliation and forgiveness, both important aspects of those relationships. But in response, in response to uh, that good news of Jesus Christ, I thought we would share a prayer together. And I think this is on the website, uh, although we're we're updating the website, so I'll have to make sure. Um, and this is just a prayer for our church, and it addresses uh, some of the stuff that we can go through in terms of conflict. Uh, and it wasn't written by me, it was changed by me to fit our context. Um, but it, it was written by a great uh, liturgist, uh, Lawrence Hall Stuckey. And so let's read this prayer together. It will be on the screen here. God of the ages, our rock and salvation, look with favor upon Christ's flock and New Life United Methodist Church. Cause our congregation to be an effective witness to your love and power. To this end, banish us from pettiness and rivalry, speaking ill of one another, seeking to serve ourselves rather than you. Guide the leaders of this congregation, those disciples who claim part in the ministry of the church, we pray all people, that we may help each other grow in your faith and grow as a community, one body guided by your will. Bind us together by your love, and cause us to know ourselves to be a people called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We ask this of the Father, through Christ, the head of the church, and through the Holy Spirit, that we may be of one heart, mind, and soul. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Let us